You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, we're sitting down with John Farragon to talk about the approval to use cabotegravir for HIV prevention. Thanks as always for being here, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Glad to be here again. So, John, let's begin. When did this approval come about and what does it mean? Yeah, so I, I think this is a really an important um, addition to our armamentarium for, for PrEP, like in what we could use for patients. Um, the PrEP guidelines were recently released in uh, December of 2021, so of last year, uh, based on the recent approval of cabotegavir, which occurred in, um, in, in January, actually. So it was weird, like the guidelines came out before the um, uh, before um, the drug was actually approved. But we covered some of this in a previous podcast. So we talked a little bit about injectables before, but we really talked about the use of, um, of cabopivirine, which is the, the for treatment, but this is just cabotegavir alone. Uh, and I know we covered the OE3 and the 084 study, and I won't spend a lot of time reviewing that again. Um, but uh, the use of this every other month cabotegavir is now approved again, both in the FDA label, but also it's included in the new guidelines. So this, is, I think, is a really big change to the guidelines and now offers patients an injectable option for, for HIV prevention. And what makes this change so important? Well, so I think the most important thing here is it's the first time there's an injectable, right? And so, and it's a long-acting injectable, it's not, and you can take it every other month. So it's not like you have to take a pill every single day or even doing on-demand regimens, which some people do with... Um, uh, with, with PrEP. So the big thing is really in, uh, I think about the guidelines is that basically anyone uh, from a guideline standpoint, I think, which is, which is, what is, which is also very important is that uh, really anybody who's sexually active can be offered PrEP. So if there's a discussion about sexual activity and then a patient wants to be on PrEP, you know, the prescribers is recommended to, to offer that to them. So this old guideline um, uh, really looked at determining uh, risk and whether or not you need PrEP uh, has really been minimized. And I think it's a real clear, uh, encouraging way to kind of ask people about, you know, difficult topics at primary care visits. So it's really, I think, designed to really increase the awareness around HIV prevention methods, and particularly for primary care physicians who might be discussing this with patients. But also we need to be aware that there's pretty decent data for persons who inject drugs as well. So one of the things we often forget about is that, I don't say forget about it, but do we do enough for uh, patients who are injecting drugs, so, so, so people who inject drugs, 
and their risk of HIV and whether or not we can put them on PrEP as well. So there's, there's a section in the old guidelines and there's a section in the new guidelines as well. But I want to remind people that we talk about PrEP in the, in the context of sexual activity a lot, but reminding them that, that there is data also on people who inject drugs as well to be on PrEP for, for HIV prevention. But I think, um, I think anyway, you know, the, the guidelines here are really some, some real helpful charts that kind of um, have some of these risk categories and screening uh, algorithms that are there. And I think the most important piece is that the cabotegravir now has been added. So after all that, it's really the cab being added. So cabotegravir, this was based on um, the HPTN-083 and 084 studies. It's a, it's a three mil injection, very good data showing superiority over, over Truvada in both men, women, and also transgender women as well. Um, in both of these studies, a larger percentage of patients who were on Truvada acquired HIV infection versus those on cabotegravir. Um, however, when they looked at the Truvada drug levels, one of the things that people often ask us is, well, geez, we know they're actually taking it. And sure enough, they actually were not taking it, the vast majority of people who got infected. But really, that's the advantage of injectables, right? Because if you're not taking it every single day and you're not adherent, but you are showing up your every two-month visit with cabotegravir, that's kind of the point, right? You'd still be protected even if you didn't take that daily pill. So that's the, really the clear advantage over, uh, over injections. So I think that's that's really, um, I, I think, a, an important piece is that if people show up and actually go to their appointments every two months, you know, there's excellent protection for, for cabotegravir. What challenges do providers need to think about when it comes to administering this treatment? You know, what do they need to think about in terms of things like dosing and adverse reactions? Yeah, so these are some of the big questions and issues. I think um, the, the first thing is the oral lead-in. So for those of you who may be um, using Cabinuva, which is the cabropivirine injection, um, there is an oral lead-in that's required. It's a 28-day lead-in period where you have to take oral tablets of cabotegravir in combination with bupivirine for treatment. Um, and this has to be done prior to that. Well, given the fact that there was almost no one in those studies who had a reaction in, in the Cabinuva lead -in, oral lead-ins, the FDA actually allowed um, the company with the cabotegravir label to allow them to forego or eliminate the oral lead-in altogether. So when you're starting PrEP with cabotegravir, you don't have to use the oral lead-in. You can if you want, but it's not needed. I would argue that probably a lot of providers would probably feel more comfortable using the oral lead-in, and you can certainly get that from, uh, from different sources. And um, But for the most part, you, you know, based on the label, you don't have to use do the oral, oral lead-in. Excuse me. The other thing that's important is the dosing. So Dosing is three mils, so it's a 200 milligram per ml injection, so it's three mls, uh, 600 milligrams. It's given as an IM injection in, in the gluteal muscle, um, and this is a, a one month later, so that's that's the first dose, and one month later, you do another three mil dose, and then from there, it's every eight-week dosing. So there's really, it's not, I don't want to call it a load, but I guess that's probably the way to say it, but you have, you have to go every month for the first two months, and then after that, it's every other month. So, so uh, 600 milligrams on day one, 600 milligrams roughly on, on the first on the first month of treatment, and then after that, it's every other month you would do 600 milligrams. And dosing can be kind of plus minus seven days. Um, if you're using the lead-in with the oral pills, the first dose of cabotegravir really should be given on the last day of oral dosing or within three days. And then if you have any planned or missed injections, there's some guidance in the label about switching to oral pills daily for up to a couple months uh, to replace one of the IM injections and then restarting with IM dosing. Um, one of the things that we get questions on is what about, what if you miss doses, right? So if at any time the cabotegravir IM is missed and it's beyond every two months with no drug, they recommend the 600 milligram once a month 
for two doses again. So that's if you go back to basically to that kind of loading regimen of 600 in day one, 600 a month later, and then 600 every eight weeks. If it's within the first two months, if it's beyond the first two months of therapy and someone extends out to less than three months before it's the next dose, for example, they're up to a month late on their dose, you can continue with the standard dosing from there. So again, it might sound kind of convoluted and kind of confusing, but there's some nice guidelines in the, in the label. Bottom line, if it's over three months, you have to restart with the loading again. So the, the, the label is very clear, though. There's some great charts in there, which will kind of help you. Um, but also the dose, um, we, we initially, we, the cabrolipiprin actually has to be stored in the refrigerator. There's some, there's, with, with cabotegavir alone, you do not have to store this in the refrigerator. So that's actually important. Um, uh, the, that, that's relatively new in, in the label. And then you draw it up and use it within, uh, within two hours. Adverse events and interactions are important. Injection site reactions can occur. Um, you can also avoid this with St. John's wort. Uh, you avoid um, certain drugs with, with cabotegavir, St. John's wort, carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, phenobarbin, phenytoin. All these are inducers and can drop the levels of cabotegavir. Marianne, I haven't talked about this, but this is probably the sticking point with this is that the billing is, is, is the tough part. So those of you who know about this will know what I'm talking about, but there's either you can, some of these are pharmacy benefits and some of them are, some of these injectables can be what they will call buy and bill or medical benefits. And this is actually one of the medical benefits. So it's new for us for HIV because we're not used to doing this. It's probably for psychiatry in other disease states. And even in talking to some of our colleagues at the ATC, this has kind of been done for years in psychiatry, but in, in here, in this, in our era, in, in, uh, in HIV, it's the first time we've had an IM injection had to be given in the clinic as to kind of build it this way. So it has to be set up since it's not a pharmacy benefit. So the clinic has to have the billing set up to give the injection. Long story short, the clinics may have some difficulties in setting this up initially, but I think if it's a pharmacy benefit, it's going to be easy. But if it's a buy-in bill and you actually have to do it in the clinic, you're going to have to figure out a way to purchase the drug from, from someplace to bring it into the pharmacy or into the, sorry, into the clinic, administer it in the clinic and then find some way to bill it. So that's going to be the kind of the complex piece of, of making sure that this is, uh, uh, this is set. That is certainly a lot to keep in mind. Um, John, as we begin to wrap up, what should providers keep in mind when it comes to cabotegravir? Well, the one thing I haven't mentioned, I think is probably the most important change in the guidelines is that HIV monitoring is different. Uh, now with um, both with, it's actually both with Truvada, Descovy, and also a cabotegavir. So really quick, in these HPTN studies, they found that some patients had a delayed, um, had a delayed positive test with their fourth generation standard HIV testing that we do for patients, this fourth generation test. And to make it simply, basically just doing the HIV testing is not going to be enough to pick up every HIV infection as early as possible. So Based on the data from the studies, the new guidelines are recommending both um, not just a fourth generation screening during follow-up while you're on uh, PrEP, but also doing an HIV RNA, either qualitative or quantitative viral load. So this is a little bit different. So, so if you are doing PrEP, even if you're using Truvada and Descovy, the recommendation now, at least in the federal guidelines, is to make sure that you not only do uh, a fourth generation test, but that you also do um, uh, an HIV RNA either qualitative or quantitative testing during, uh, during follow-up. And that's true, not just for cabotegravir, but it's also true for Truvada uh, and Escobi in, in the guidelines. So it's a little bit, a little bit different. Um, and then for cab, obviously it's gonna be every two months, but then every other, every other time they come in, so every, so every four months, 
that's when you do your STI screening. So the HIV viral load piece is going to be a little bit different than a potential challenge moving forward. And certainly will add some, some cost to PrEP um, and even cost for those uh, programs like we have PrEPDAP here in New York State. Um, it's kind of like PrEP ADAP, right? It's kind of like... Um, I think that's what it's called. It's the, it's the, it's the ADAP for basically for prep. It doesn't cover the drug, but it covers the, the, um, the appointments and some of the lab work that that may potentially, you know, increase the cost there. But again, really a, an important um, addition to what we have to offer people for prep. So I think a huge, um, a very important um, approval and some big changes to the to the prep guidelines. I encourage you to take a look at those. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about this latest update and approval of a cabotegravir injection for PrEP and covering everything providers need to know. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nikaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.